in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 45. We are in the fifth and final week of talking about the story of the life of Joseph, Joseph of the Old Testament. In the previous weeks, we've talked about Joseph living in a place of pride. Then we talked about Joseph being tossed into the pit. Then we saw Joseph in a true test, and in that test he pursued purity. And last week we saw Joseph in prison. Today, we're going to see the final stage of his journey, the end of the detour. I love that moment when you get back on the main road. How about you? And today the fifth stage is not an easy stage. To get back on the road, Joseph would have to do perhaps the hardest thing that Joseph was going to do to this point. He was going to have to pardon his brothers. Pardon, forgive. Set free from their moral obligation for restitution to him for the evil that they'd done upon him. There's a reason in this story that Joseph must pursue pardon. The journey would not be complete if he did not do what he's going to do today in Genesis 45 and following. In fact, all the reasons for all the detours, for the 13 years in prison, for being sold into slavery, all the reasoning behind that in the mind of God would have been destroyed if Joseph's pride had returned at this moment in the story. If Joseph had been a man who took himself a little bit too seriously and took his circumstances in a way that was ungodly, in this moment, the reason for his journey to this point would have been annihilated. We're going to see in Joseph today God's goodness, but a man who's about to deal with his biggest test of character. Because his ten brothers, his ten older brothers of the eleven brothers that he had, his ten brothers who had sold him into slavery, who had set him on this arduous journey, were going to come to him in Egypt. When we pick up the story today, Joseph had got to the point where he had been released from prison because he was an interpreter of dreams. And he had interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams for him. That cupbearer who he had helped in prison, had now remembered him. And he came to Pharaoh and interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and as such, the Pharaoh raised him to a very high position, and Joseph became the second in command of all Egypt. As he led them through a time of great blessing and then a time of great famine. And as he's leading them through this time of great famine, who should travel to Egypt but those brothers? who sold him into slavery all those years ago. Interestingly, when they meet the royal regent, who they don't know is their brother, they bow down before him. The very thing that Joseph had dreamed about all those years ago. And I'm continuing to set the stage here. We'll be reading in just a moment. But we must see, if we read the story in its entirety, from chapters 42, when his brothers come to Egypt 
to chapter 45, where we're going to read today, that Joseph is a deeply conflicted man. He's deeply conflicted. How easy would it be to forgive the men who had sold you into slavery and who had set into motion a set of circumstances which would see you in a prison for 13 years? How easy would it be to forgive them like that upon seeing them? And in fact, chapter 42 through 44 shows a deeply conflicted Joseph. He doesn't know what to do with these guys. He yells at them. He calls them spies. He detains them in prison for three days. He really wants to know two things. One, is my father alive? Two, is my brother Benjamin, my full brother who didn't do this to me, is he alive too? So he's trying to get assurances here, and that's why he's going through so much of this. But he detains his brother Simeon, waiting for them to bring Benjamin to him. He frames his brothers for theft, and then finally he frames Benjamin for for theft. And if you want to read a great story of character development that we're not going to read today, read what Judah does in chapter 44. You see some character development in the brother Judah, but We see a deeply conflicted Joseph, one who doesn't know what to do with his brothers, but eventually he gets to the point that he needs to get to. And that's what we're going to read in chapter 45. His brothers are all there, including his full brother, Benjamin. And it says this in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. What a wild scene, huh? Here, this man that's sort of been tormenting them for about a year, detaining them, framing them for theft, calling them spies, now looks at them and goes, oh! (laughs) Could you imagine? This guy went crazy right here. He just lost it. He just starts weeping. And the Bible makes a big deal out of how loud he was weeping. That everyone heard it in his palace, and so much so that somebody ran down the street and told Pharaoh's attendants, Joseph is in there crying like a baby. Well, of course, he is coming to this moment of great catharsis, isn't he? Where he realizes it's time to make himself known to his brothers. And so he does. He says to the guys, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? And what do they say? (laughs) Oh, you're Joseph. And I don't want to assume, the Bible does not say this, but terrified means something, right? So you can assume what they might have thought Joseph was going to do to them in this moment if they were terrified. It's not like they went, yeah, you're alive. They went, oh, no. Oh, no. A wild scene. But what happens next is one of the clearest pictures, not only of pardon, but of lack of pride that we see in the entire Bible Keep reading with me. Verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, 
the one you sold into Egypt. Catch verse 5. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God has sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be neither plowing nor reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, there's some incredible things that are going on here, but the most incredible to me is not that Joseph saw all the reasons for his detours. He saw it, didn't he? He got the why. We sometimes don't get the why. Joseph got the why, okay? The thing that, he, that, that stuns me is this. He looked at his brothers in verse 5 and says, don't feel bad, guys. Let that sink in for a minute. If you are not focusing on this message, you're missing something incredibly important for your life. He looks at the guys who have sold him into slavery and said, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. I'm not going to make you pay for this emotionally. What a picture of pardon and forgiveness. He's not going to make them feel or not, he's not going to try to make them feel anything. He's concerned for them that they're just going to beat themselves up over this. And he says, don't feel bad, guys. God had a plan. You were part of the plan. We, he, met, he doesn't forget the sin. You guys sold me into Egypt. He said it. He said it. You guys sold me into, sold me into Egypt. But what an incredible level of forgiveness. He doesn't stay in a place of haughtiness with these guys and say, now I am the Lord. And you are the vassals. I'll give you food. Bow down before me and kiss the royal rings. None of that. No pride, no arrogance, no meanness, no, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. Now get out of here. He says, don't feel bad, guys. God had a plan. How could Joseph, he says to them, remain in unforgiveness when God has done such an incredible thing through me and through you? And what's that incredible thing? Did you catch it? What's the incredible thing that God has done for Joseph and his brothers, the sons of Jacob? What has he done? He's preserved them. He sent Joseph into Egypt to put him in a position where he could save the line of Abraham. Think about that for a minute. Now, You say, why is that such a big deal? Well, first, think about the first commandment in Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. Right? God wants his people to be fruitful and multiply. Noah gets off the ark. They multiplied, but they multiplied in the wrong direction. Thus the story of Noah. You know what God commands Noah? Be fruitful and multiply. You know what Abraham's part of the covenant was? Abraham? Be fruitful and multiply. You know what God says to Isaac upon confirming the covenant with Isaac, the son of Abraham? Be fruitful and multiply. You know what God says to Jacob when he confirms the covenant with Jacob? Be fruitful and multiply. Jacob took it seriously, 12 sons later. All right? Be fruitful and multiply. God, he he saw ahead of time the famine that was going to come to the ancient Near East. 
And he sent Joseph on ahead to protect his brothers and make sure that the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, the ones who through, he, through whom he was going to bless the entire earth would be fruitful and multiply. You want to see the payoff? Turn in your Bibles about three or four pages to Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. We're going to get back to this pardon concept in a minute, but let's, let's get to the why for the detours on the journey that we've been on. Here's the why. Verse 6 of Exodus chapter 1. Now Joseph and all his brothers and that generation died. Read verse 7 with me. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. For those of you who have ever taken an Old Testament class with me, I call this the divine incubator. That's what Egypt is. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is not only did God spare the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from famine, but archaeology is showing us that during the period of 1800 B.C. to 1400 B.C., you know that 400 years that they were in slavery in Egypt, archaeology has shown us that Canaan, the land that becomes Israel, Canaan, where Jacob and his descendants were living, was undergoing some of the most tumultuous, warlike time in the history of warfare. That's what the archaeologists have shown us. By digging up and they can do the carbon dating and all that other stuff, they're saying that every major city, every major people group got in huge battles and wars during that period that these folks were in Egypt. How do you think Jacob and his 12 sons would have fared? So not only do we have a biblical record for why they were in Egypt, to avoid the famine, but historically we can look back and the archaeology confirms the Bible, that they were in Egypt during a very tumultuous time in Canaan. What would have happened if Joseph had looked at them and said, forget you guys, forget you guys, go back to Canaan, fend for yourselves. You guys sold me into slavery, get out of here. I'm done. I'm done. I've had enough of you guys. Get out of here. What would have happened if he had not pardoned and forgiven them? Now, I have enough faith in God that God would have found another way. But we wouldn't be reading the story of Joseph in our Bibles now, would we? Or maybe we'd be reading it and we'd lump Joseph in with all the bad guys of the Bible. But he pardons them instead how can I not forgive you when you, the Lord has done something so great for us? And here's the crazy part about this. There is a wrinkle in the story. What was the first thing Joseph said to his brothers? I am Joseph, and then what? Is my father alive? Is my father alive? What that's going to do is put in the back of his brothers' minds, all right, Joseph's forgiving us. Joseph's going to forgive us. But what happens when dad dies? Is this, is this just going to last as long as dad dies? Now, he, they shouldn't have thought that, because if you look down at verse 15, or 14, it says in for, chapter 45, it won't be up on the screen, I apologize, I didn't give it to Pete, but verse 14 of chapter 45, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, and he wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And look at verse 15. And Joseph, he, Joseph, kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and afterwards they talked. They talked. Even in the midst of this, 
the brothers have some questions about Joseph and his reasons for forgiving them. Why, why is he forgiving this thing? Is this because of dad? Turn over to chapter 50, where the conclusion of this pardon will be seen. Chapter 50, the last chapter in Genesis, verse 15 and following. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent words to Joseph saying, "Uh, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers of the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Apparently he was a weepy guy. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, he said. They said, catch this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. Look at this. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is not a begrudging, play nice forgiveness. This is not a, yeah, I forgive you, but things will never be the same. You stay over there, I'll stay over here, we'll smile at each other, (laughs) good to see you, and we'll leave it at that. Think of all the havoc he could have played with his brothers if he'd wanted to. He was the royal regent of Egypt. Couldn't you see him sending extravagant bills to his brother and then sending the real one the next day? You know, oh, we owe the, we owe the crown miss. Couldn't you see him saying to them, yeah, dad's dead, go fend for yourselves now? Couldn't you see him summoning his brothers and say, come into my presence, but not telling them why? He could have played a lot of tricks on his brothers. He could have been mean. He could have tried to make them feel his pain. But he didn't. He was warm and loving to them. Why? Was it because Joseph was just the greatest guy ever? No, he was living in submission to God. He knew he wasn't God. He was living in submission to God. Joseph stands for us, I believe, in Scripture as a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Because not only does he forgive his brothers while they're still in their sin, not only does he show mercy on them when they had betrayed him and rebelled against what God had planned from the beginning, but he shows them grace. He says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you and your children. What an unmerited gift. What grace he showed his brothers. Joseph stands for us in the Old Testament as a beautiful picture of what Christ Jesus has done for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he showed us mercy even when we did not deserve mercy. And he gave us the great gift of abundant life and eternal life. Even though we stood as rebellious sinners against him. I mean, the pictures and the parallels are beautiful here between Joseph and Jesus. And the forgiveness that wells up in Joseph can only be described as coming from God. In fact, he mentions God in both cases of forgiveness, both chapter 45 
and chapter 50. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. What can we learn in just these few short verses about pardon and about forgiveness? Well, the first thing is it starts with relationship to God. You don't get to hold a grudge because God didn't hold a grudge against you. Joseph showed his brothers pardon full and free in the same way Jesus has pardoned you full and free. You don't get to hold grudges. You don't get to sit in your pride and self-righteousness and try to make someone else pay for the sin that they did against you. Instead, because of the great gift of mercy that God has bestowed upon you, and Joseph recognized the great gift of mercy in his life, we step out from there and say we have a great gift of mercy to forgive others. That's what we're... That's what we're called to do as Christians. What's that quote about the rich man? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know who else Jesus doesn't have any, and and remember, within context, okay? Remember that, and we've talked about that many times, but who are the other people who just weren't going to see the kingdom? The unforgiving. The unforgiving weren't going to see the kingdom. They were not. Read the words of Jesus. He has no time for people who live in unforgiveness. None. I stand on the authority of Scripture with that. That's not a a Pastor Matt thinks that God doesn't like unforgiveness. That's the words of Jesus. He said he'll just cast you out from his presence. He has no time for you if you live in unforgiveness. How can Christians live in unforgiveness? It is the silliest thing. And by, and by using the word silly, I don't want to downplay it. It is the most stubbornly stupid thing that a Christian can do because of the great mercy that's been showed to us. Colossians 3.13, forgive as Christ forgave you. Not contingent upon anything, just live in pardon. Forgiveness also starts with humility and selflessness. We talked a lot in this series about how Joseph's pride was brought low that he might do the things that God had intended him for do. Unforgiveness starts in a heart of pride because it starts in the assumption that I am more righteous than the person who's hurt me. And the question of who's more righteous never enters Joseph's mindset, does it? What enters Joseph's mindset is only this, God is righteous, therefore. You have probably been hurt by people who are a bigger jerk than you are. And you know what? You're a bigger jerk than some of the people you've hurt. It's true. It's true. The question is not who's more righteous. The only thing is that he is righteous and he demands it of us. He demands it. One of the moments of scripture, Jesus is describing to his disciples how much they are to forgive. And he says, even if your brother sins against you seven times in one day, forgive. And uh, the Bible puts a break in there and it starts a new story. But the very next thing that is said is, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, I don't know if I can forgive that way. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable that, in essence, the parable says, obey. I demand it of you. You don't need more faith. You just need to obey in terms of forgiveness. 
That means when we forgive, we get to a place of humility, not because we have to count ourselves as more or less righteous than the person who has hurt us. We only need to know that God is righteous and he demands us to forgive. That's it. Obey when God says forgive. There is no, I need you to know how much you hurt me in forgiveness. And there is no, I need you to feel how much you hurt me in forgiveness. There's just forgiveness and pardon. God did not need to impart to you how much you hurt him by your rebellion. He just sent his son. Does he like your rebellion? No, he thinks it stinks. Read the prophets. He thinks it stinks. But he pardons you full and free. So much so that overflowing in praise, the apostle Paul wrote, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned anymore. And Joseph wanted to make it clear to his brothers that they did not stand condemned. They stood in a place of freedom from their sin. Because he'd forgiven them. Why? Because Joseph knew God. If you stand in a place of unforgiveness today, the question is not what's wrong with you. The question is, what don't I really understand about God that I'm living in this place? What's wrong with my, this relationship that I can't get these relationships right? You say, where do you, where do you get that? Because Joseph talks all about God as the reasoning for his forgiveness. That's where we get that. Playing nice for the crowd is not forgiveness. He just didn't forgive his brothers because his father was still living. He forgave his brothers because God was who God was. It's not playing nice for the other Christians, not playing nice for the other family members, not playing nice for the other co-workers. It's just full pardon, full and free. You say, you don't understand. If I go ahead and forgive somebody on that level, they'll just go and hurt me again. Okay? Right. They're sinners. They will hurt you again. God doesn't call you to have more faith. He calls you to obey and forgive. Forgive. It's his plan that matters, not yours. Forgive. It's an obedience thing. It's not a feeling thing. Joseph was deeply conflicted. He wept. But he forgave. Think it was easy? No, and and once again, we can't project upon Joseph who we are, but do you think there was ever another moment where he was upset again as his brothers? Do you think that the enemy might have put something in his head a time or two? You know what, you could really make them pay. He was human. He was human, yet he forgave. The final thing that we can learn in forgiveness is this. His relationship with his brothers was not the same. It was better. His relationship with his brothers prior to this is what we see way earlier in the book. And what's that picture? That picture is that they despised one another. And on the other side of all that sin and all that pain and all those years, Joseph remained soft and his walls were down. The hurt didn't make him harder, it made him softer. And he was soft towards his brothers. 
and he hugged them, and he kissed them, and he reassured them, and he said, I'll even take care of your kids. What a beautiful picture that even in that moment, pardon was there. And the pardon was such that the relationship didn't just stagnate, but got better. Joseph stayed soft because he kept his level of pride low. I encourage you today, you maybe have someone who you are having a ton of trouble forgiving, and your mind may be tormented by what that person has done to you. I encourage you to do what Joseph did. Pursue this relationship. God and you. Ask him to give you the strength, the ability to pardon Not to pardon on your terms, because your terms aren't good, but to pardon somebody on his terms, because his terms lead people to say things like, there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's ask God to give us the strength to pardon on his terms, not ours, and then we can live as our Savior lived, and we can live as this beautiful model of a godly man Joseph lived to. Let's pray. Father God, you know what we must do. And you've spoken it to us in the past 30 minutes. We know what we must do. It's just a question of whether or not we choose to obey. Lord, give us the strength to obey. Help us to be overwhelmed and overcome by your great forgiveness, mercy, and grace so that we may also be people of great forgiveness, mercy, and grace, and forgive just as Christ forgave us. In Jesus' name, amen.